This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Luka Doncic hits 10,000 career points. That call courtesy 97.1. The Freak, the Mavs end up with a win on Christmas Day. A slate that had five games, starting out with Milwaukee and the Knicks. A good one for Jalen Brunson. A big day for him. Milwaukee had no answer for him on Christmas Day. This is Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein, pleased to welcome in Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, here to help us break down what we saw from the Christmas Day slate, what it means going forward. Legs, let's start there with that Jalen Brunson game because they've the Knicks had no answer for Giannis. They had some center depth issues the last couple of games. They already lost to, prior to Christmas Day, they had lost to the Bucks two times by a combined 29 points. What did we learn about the Knicks and what they were able to do with Jalen Brunson being that spark plug? I, th- I think when you looked at the game yesterday, and, and look, this, this is nothing new. This isn't a news flash because like, we've been watching Jalen Brunson now do this for a couple of years. Um, I think when you have a player that can control the game to the extent that he can and you, you really can't affect him with what you do and throwing personnel at him, certain a certain type of personnel, a certain type of scheme, he's so strong with the ball. He's got such command of where he wants to go. He gets to his spots. When you have a player that can control a game to that extent, then you have a chance. And, and against any of these teams in the top of the Eastern Conference in, in a seven-game series, I wouldn't pick the Knicks to beat Boston or beat Milwaukee. That might be a difference, a coin toss. But, but the point is they can threaten them. They can be in the series. And then now if you're talking about a situation where you've closed the margin between those teams and the Knicks – you know, you now have a chance in a seven-game series in a particular game that could turn it. Anything could happen, foul trouble, an injury, guy has an off night, and you're, you're at least in the mix. So I think Jalen Brunson gives you that feeling, if you're a Nick fan or if you're or somebody on that coaching staff, because you've got him and the way that he plays and the extent to which he operates consistently offensively, you've got a chance every single night against those teams. And, and he rises to the occasion when the lights are brightest. And obviously there's bright lights on Christmas Day. There's, there's a lot of attention on these games. These are marquee matchups. And Jalen Brunson, once again, rose to the occasion. He embraces the pressure. And so I think that's really what you learn about games like that. He's special because of his ability to just get where he wants to go on the floor and, and nothing's going to be able to stop him because of his strength, his footwork, his poise, his IQ, uh, and then that pressure component built where he loves that Um So I was just so impressed with what he did yesterday, what he's done here for the last several years. And he has a, he's a star. And, and the New York Knicks have a star at a critical position in this league. Tim, I want to go from the Knicks to out west because you did have the Warriors and the Nuggets play. And Steve Kerr, after Nikola Jokic gets 18 free throw attempts, makes all 18, essentially said he was disgusted with officiating. You've seen what's gone on in this league. You've seen what's gone on with the Warriors in the past, and we know how Jokic plays. Does Kerr have something here, or is this just a frustrated coach just kind of venting after Nikola Jokic kind of did what he does? Well, I think it's more probably the latter. You know, obviously he's frustrated, right? They lose a game by six. They're in a game. It's minutes to go. It's anybody's game. On a Nikola Jokic does not play well offensively, gets four field goals. 
able to have that kind of an impact because of all the calls he got in the second half. And I think that's where the frustration comes out because if you go back and look at each of every one of those calls, there are definitely some um, that could have gone either way, right? These were light contact type of calls. Jokic's really good at selling the call and getting to the line on a night when he's not feeling it offensively. So I think what Steve Kerr was articulating is we played Jokic as well as we can. We did everything we could to make him have a subpar night offensively. We did, but at the end, he still gets to 26 points because he gets to the line 18 times. And that's where the frustration comes out on the part of Steve because he felt like they played a good enough game to win and all of this contact that Jokic doing all the time and it's officiating, getting rid for that time after time, frustrating. But I think where, you know, I can agree with him maybe on some of these calls in this particular game. I mean, this is nothing new around the league. I mean, this is kind of how the league is set up now. The, the, some of the contact that used to be allowed on star players has been taken away. There's a lot more freedom of movement. So this is every night in the NBA. This isn't just last night or Steve Kerr or the Warriors got – somehow the short end of the stick. I think this is basically the way the game is officiated now for star players. Um, and so that, you know, just unfortunately for Steve Kerr, he doesn't have a guy that plays with that kind of physicality and, and forces that kind of contact trip after trip to get to the line 16, 18 times. And so I think that's where the frustration set in for Steve Kerr. And I guess if you're just looking at one game as a, as a sample, I would agree with Kerr on the officiating in, in last night's game in particular. Talking with ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler here on Unsportsmanlike, Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle on this Tuesday morning. The Celtics beat the Lakers 126-115, and they did it without resembling the identity that this team has displayed the first couple months of the season. We know they're a hot three-point shooting team. They shoot a lot of them, but they didn't on Monday. Why do you think that was the case? And is that something that you think should kind of even out here? considering like it was something they were effective with on Christmas? Yeah, I think, look, here's, here's why Boston's the best team in the NBA, because they don't need to beat anybody. Now, I actually think there are nights I watch the Celtics, and I think they bail teams out because they take too many threes. They, they have three-point shots sometimes, and they don't need to do that. When they take them within the flow after the ball's been driven into the lane or the ball's been reversed, a couple of times, and that third pass, and now a guy's got a three-pointer towed up. They're a deadly three-point shooting team, but I think when they hunt them uh, for stretches in games, they're actually helping the defense. The great thing about them is they don't need to do it, and this is why the additions that they've made over the last couple of years of Derek White, Porzingis, Drew Holiday, like those three guys, along with the two stars, Tatum and Brown, this is why Boston is special now offensively, because they can beat you any number of ways. They can beat you with the isolation game. With Tatum and Brown, they can even isolate Porzingis so if he gets certain matchups in the post. Derek White can isolate through Holiday can isolate. They can beat you with three-point shooting, as we know they do you know, many nights. They can also beat you now at points in the paint because they've got that many different guys that can attack off the dribble and win that matchup that's in front of them. And then they could also beat you defensively. Now, you don't see that as much in, in the NBA now. There are, there are fewer great defensive teams consistently. But they can turn it up for stretches in games with the versatility that they have in that starting lineup. These are all two-way players. Every single guy I mentioned is a two-way player. They're multidimensional. They can affect the game, um, and they're versatile. They can switch and have different matchups where they don't give anything up. They've just addressed the needs in their team and added so much depth and versatility 
Right now, the Boston Celtics are the team that everybody has got to look at and say we've got to judge ourselves according to them. You know, Denver might be the one exception to that because of the core continuity in their starting five. But right now, the Boston Celtics are humming, and, and this is the best team in the NBA because they can beat you in a number of ways. And yesterday was an example. You know, 13 threes is, is a pretty good night. It's not an elite night by their standards. They can make 18 to 20 on any given night. So to make only 13 but still find a way to get to 126 points, that just speaks to, to what kind of firepower this team has. We're talking to Tim Leggett, ESPN's NBA analyst here on, on Sportsmanlike, alongside Courtney Cronin and Michael Rothstein. And Tim, the, the night game last night, Dallas beats Phoenix 128-114. Luka passes 10,000 points, but there was a report from our Woj that stood out to me, and I'm going to read you the highlights of it. I'm assuming you've seen this. Quote, you talk to people in Phoenix and around that organization, they can feel the frustration with Kevin Durant. And the, uh, he basically says part of that certainly is the missed games from Bradley Beal. This team was built around those three stars, meaning Durant, Beal, and Devin Booker. The underwhelming supporting cast that comes from those massive trades for Durant and Bradley Beal that really gutted the organization and left them having signed a lot of minimum players to fill out the payroll. Is this valid in this point in terms of like KD getting frustrated this early with what's going on? Or is this just kind of them working things out in some ways? Well, look, it's a combination of both. And even before I saw this report this morning by Woj, um, I was watching the game last night. I'm taking notes. And the number one thing that I took from the game last night, I've never watched Kevin Durant exhibit more a defeatist body language. And it was early in the game. I mean, they, they fell behind by double digits early and his body language and demeanor um, was just something I'm not used to seeing Kevin Durant. Remember, this was a guy that basically took on the Milwaukee Bucks by himself in a seven game series a couple years ago in Brooklyn. Um, and so he could, because he has that much belief in himself and his ability. And last night I just saw a guy that looked so frustrated that it was overt. He was wearing his emotions on his sleeve. And I've just never seen Kevin Durant really look like that on a basketball court. So that, that stood out to me of everything. And Luke had a 50 point game, right? And Dallas scores 128. And the number one thing that I'm writing down as I'm watching the game is, man, what is up with Durant? Like you could just see it. He was wearing it. And that's partly because, you know, of their record, this team at sub 500, you know, we're past the 30, a third of the way through the season, and they are sub-500 in a loaded Western Conference. And I think Kevin Durant, you know, he went there and he, he tried to create this another situation for himself that was going to give him a path to a championship. And he's looking around at the rest of these teams in the Western Conference saying, where do we even stack up? Now, Bradley Beal hasn't been there. They haven't played together. I, I get that. Maybe that'll be the ointment that he needs when Beal starts to play. He'll have more belief in this team. I don't necessarily think the supporting cast is as weak as that statement would indicate. I mean, you got 55 points last night out of Grayson Allen and Metu. I mean, you know, they, they, I think they, they made Eric Gordon's a nice addition, right? Eubanks, they, they made nice additions to round out their stars. They just have to figure out a way to play with a style and flow offensively that's harder to guard. And, and that's not what I'm seeing out of them right now. So it's, it's not – Great right now what's happening in Phoenix. You're not going to be able to pass judgment until you get Beal back for an extended period of time. But I did not like what I saw to Kevin Durant last night, just in terms of his leadership, his demeanor, his body language. And when when you have your best player looking like that and it's so external, his emotions and the way he feels about the moment, 
that's a bad sign for the state of the Suns right now. So I, I think there, this is definitely something to keep an eye on and something to be watchful for. But, again, we can't make final judgment until we see Bradley Beal, uh, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant all play together for an extended period of time. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what Kevin Durant thought this would be, considering all of the trades and acquisitions that left the Phoenix Suns depleted of you know the resources to build out the rest of this team, where you do sign – a lot of players on minimum deals to fill out this payroll. But again, I'm with you, Legs. We can't judge this team until we see that core that it was built around, Durant, Beal, and Devin Booker, be able to play together uh, for an extended stretch of time. Hey, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler, kind enough to take some time here with us on Unsportsmanlike. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein in for Evan Canty and Michelle. On this Tuesday morning, the show, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Straight ahead, Mike and I have a game that we are covering in the same location this weekend, and both of our head coaches are on the proverbial hot seat. Which of them has a better chance to keep their job for 2024. We discuss next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein, sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle on Unsportsmanlike. It's Tuesday, December 26th. Hope that you had a Merry Christmas if you celebrated yesterday. It's Boxing Day today. Kwanzaa's coming up. A lot of holidays to celebrate. A lot of sports to get into. And that means it's nearing the end of the regular season in the NFL. Both of us have NFL teams that are very likely not going to be in the postseason. I know the Bears have like a very slim margin, like as slim as the New York Giants last night before the they Falcons were. The Falcons have a better chance. Well, what is – do you know their playoff odds offhand? It's what, uh, 5%? It, no, it's more than that. I think it was – it's somewhere between 8 and 11%. And they, they have, a, re- they have a shot They have a shot at the wild card too still. Okay. Uh, it's a small shot. They need basically the everything to go their way. Yeah, and they're in the division race because basically if they win out and Tampa loses out, they'll win the division. Got it. Uh, if, if Tampa wins, beats New Orleans on Sunday, Tampa will win the division and then they're just – 
rocking in the wild card world, but they have to win out, including beating potentially the Chicago Bears here on Sunday. Speaking of the Bears, so that's the game that's coming up in week 17. You and I will see each other in person after doing the show for a couple days this week remotely. Um, Did you know that they have a quarterback conundrum for 2024, (gasps) similar to your team right now with Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke, (laughs) the whole situation? But I saw this post somebody screenshotted it because if you don't know by now likes are public on twitter um caleb williams is learning that the hard way so the usc quarterback who is projected to be the number one overall pick in the nfl draft liked a tweet um that may speak to his view of the bears organization and it's it's still up there right now so i'm gonna read this tweet to you okay says this is from like he, he he liked a tweet from just some random fan quote i've waited my whole life for a qb like caleb williams on the chicago bears spent christmas making this but i'm not paying for a blue check to post the full thing in one true freshman not supposed to be in this game i don't really this is weirdly weirdly uh phrase <laughs> what are you reading i'm reading like <laughs> verbatim but this was not there was another tweet too that he had like here it is I got the right one this time. I think maybe he did some backtracking here. Um, this tweet that Caleb Williams likes says only one option for the Chicago Bears in the 2024 NFL draft. It's not Caleb, you know, his Twitter handle. We want Justin Fields. He liked that. It popped up on Christmas Eve. It went crazy yesterday. And, of course, it has all of us asking the question, is this a reflection of his thoughts on not wanting to go to the Bears? Because it wouldn't be the first time we've heard that sort of that logic that he may stay in college if the Bears have the number one overall pick, I think that that's a little far-fetched because you're not going to pass up a $35 million rookie contract and the chance to get a hundred-something million dollar second contract sooner rather than later. But like the idea that Justin Fields has now two more games to prove whether he's the guy in Chicago or whether they're just inevitably going to turn to Caleb Williams – You'll get to see it for yourself this week, Mike, but you've also seen Justin Fields before. And I'm wondering, are you of the same mindset that me, that like the decision is, is very likely already made by whoever is going to be pulling the strings on this in the Bears front office? I think they know what they would like to do, but I don't know if they know what they're going to do. Because if they, first of all, will Ryan, will the staff be the same, whether it's Matt Eberflus yep. as the coach, Ryan Poles as the general manager? That's the first part of it. The second part of it is, do they feel like they can build around Justin Fields still and, and continue to get him in, to improve? Because Justin Fields is a dynamic play, NFL football player, but there are definitely some accuracy questions when it comes to how he plays and some decision questions there as well and to some of the things that he has done and has not done. That, to me, is what stands out, but... Yeah, I don't. I think that deep down they know what they want to do, but they probably would want to meet with Caleb Williams first, or mm-hmm. Drake May even first, because it's possible that they could really not like what they hear, and that might change the calculus of what they want to do if they don't feel like that's the guy. Because the one thing we know, Courtney, is that the Bears have not had a quarterback that they felt good about in your lifetime, maybe? Correct. Correct. Uh, Jay Cutler, they felt good about for a stretch of time in the 2010s, but it's not a long-term feel-good-about situation. Their last franchise quarterback, if you really want to go that far back, was Sid Luckman a very long time ago. <laughs> Neither of us were alive. Um, but, but it does – like, I just want to get like, that through to people because I think you bring up a good point about them meeting with Caleb Williams, meeting with Drake May. That stuff happens at the Combine. That stuff happens in pre-draft visits. 
they're not like, let's say week 18 comes, they, they win or lose against Green Bay. Who cares? Because independent of that, they're not going to have their quarterback decision announced or like right. in going like Monday after the season ends, they could have a new head coach. Or they, they could they could be moving on from Matt Eberflus in the direction of a new head coach. The Falcons may be doing the same with Arthur Smith. But the quarterback decision, Justin Fields or not Justin Fields, is not one that they make until closer to the draft. You you want to get draft capital back that you can use if you do end up trading Justin Fields, if you do want to go get Caleb Williams with the number one overall pick, which right now they have a sizable, they have a, a nice gap considering the Packers beat the Panthers on Christmas Eve to keep Carolina with the number one overall pick, which which the Bears are going to have because they had that trade with them. But um, I, I just that's it's, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out because there are a lot of people who make it sound like oh we're going to know week 18 Monday yeah. after about the quarterback situation. Justin Fields has two games left. I don't know if you're going to learn that much more about him that you don't already know within the 36 game sample size that they have. Probably not, but I will say this: if he comes out and plays extremely well in the last two games, that might give you a couple of more data points to at least give food for thought. Because if you're the Bears and you feel like you can build around Justin Fields, two things happen, right, Courtney? One, you can trade that pick to a number of teams and get even more draft capital back. Or you can take the best non-quarterback in the draft and potentially give him a elite, high-level, safest potential player in the draft in Marvin Harrison Jr. because he feels like he's going to be a top-five pick. Or you can go draft him a left tackle in, in, in Joe Walt. Now, they also were going to potentially have a second top-ten pick, so that gives Their Chicago mm-hmm. yeah, that gives Chicago even more. So I, I think there's a lot of different things in play, but that's the first decision has, that has to be made by them is do they want to roll with Justin Fields or do they want to roll with the rookie? And we're not going to know that. They might not even know that until they figure out their head coach situation. And that's the real first decision that both yeah. teams have to make before both teams figure out what their quarterback situation is in 2024. Now, Iberflus and this team started out 2-7. and seven. They've won a bunch of games in the last month. They've also lost some pretty big ones, like that Cleveland game that more or less was the dagger on their season. The Falcons are one minute they're a good team, one minute they fall off a cliff. Like, I I can only imagine what you cover on a week-to-week basis with the highs and lows of this. And as we forecast this thing out, like, how realistic do you think it is that Arthur Smith gets to keep his job next year? I mean, I've been covering dogs and cats living together, chaos, you know, it's a whole (laughs) thing, right? Um, I, I think it's a reasonable chance. The, to me, kind of, it's cliche, but the rubber meeting the road, time really felt like Sunday where they're coming off a terrible loss at Carolina in a monsoon. Mm -hmm. And there's all these questions, even players who don't have social media or purport to not have social media said they could feel like the tension. They could feel the energy outside the building, like just seeping in a little bit in terms of like, well, what's really going on here? Because Arthur Smith was getting questions. They make a quarterback change again going from Desmond Ritter to Taylor Heineke to Desmond Ritter back to Taylor Heineke. He'll start Sunday. Mm-hmm. And there, and what happened was this. They went out and they played their best game of the season. They beat Indianapolis very much in the thick of the AFC playoff picture, 29-10. It was the best game I think I've seen the Falcons play in the Arthur Smith era. And they all, to a guy... I've been in that locker room every day. To a guy, they back Arthur Smith. 
And this isn't one of these, like, I've covered these situations where they'll say, oh, yeah, sure. we back Coach X. I'm not going to say which yeah. coach it is, but if you know my history, you could probably figure it out. <laughs> and then behind the scenes, you know that they, it's not that case. The, the vibe that I've gotten is that he has not lost this locker room, that they buy into him. And that's going to play into this as well because they have a very talented roster outside of their quarterback situation, which the odds are that they will go after a quarterback this offseason mm-hmm. and, and be either in the free agent market or the draft to find their new quarterback because that's right now the biggest question around this organization besides whether or not they'll keep Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith isn't blameless in all of this, of course, but – it feels like, especially if they win Sunday, the momentum will continue to maybe keep him in Atlanta because he is a good coach and he has done a lot. If you look, Courtney, you understand this, uh, you know, because I think you're kind of seeing it maybe with Eberflus as well. You have to look beyond just this season. Mm-hmm. Arthur Smith overachieved his first two years in Atlanta oh, with salary sure. cap strap rosters. So you're going to judge him on year three when you when he's they've underachieved. Versus year one and two when they overachieved. Like, to me, that balances out of giving him a fourth year and seeing what he can do. Yeah. Real quick, is he – does he have to win out to keep his job? Do you think – because that's, that's a question. Like, out. I can't imagine the Bears firing Matt Eberflus if they won out and then go 8-9 and nine right. after 3-14. and 14. Like, similar situation with Atlanta from, you know, where they were. It could have been 8-6, and six, but it was 6-8 and eight the other day. Like, if they can finish – what eight and nine still in play for them too? Like oh yeah, if they like, win one or two, it's eight and nine. They win out, it's not winning out. They're nine and eight. They haven't had over no five hundred records since two thousand seventeen. He's there. Yeah, if they go no eight way. nine, I think he's there. Even at seven and ten, I think there's a shot. Okay. Like he to me going into last week, he had to win at least one to to have a real chance, and he did that on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens going forward. So we don't know about those two coaches and their futures beyond the 2023 season. What I think we do know is that Lamar Jackson has played his way into being the front runner for the MVP. We'll discuss that next after Mike has this from O'Reilly. Have a car problem, but don't know where to go. Maybe you're miles away from home when your car breaks down. Let O'Reilly Auto Parts help. With O'Reilly Auto Parts Shop Referral Program, take the guesswork out of finding a great shop wherever you are. Call an O'Reilly location near you or visit O'Reilly.com and click Find a Repair Shop to find a reputable service center nearby to get you back on the road. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus... Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Unsportsmanlike. This is Unsportsmanlike with Chris Canty. Evan Cohen and Michelle Smallman. The mom that's got the stroller and being hella aggressive and thinking that a stroller is a license to mow people down on the New York City sidewalks. I'm sorry, it's not. I, I don't care about your baby. Your baby's not cute for that matter. Don't try to run me over with the damn stroller. I'm tired of it. 
Wow. Canty's got the same sort of angst, if not more than Pat Costello, our producer. Like, that was aggressive. Pat, what do you th- how did that conversation come about where Canty's talking about ugly babies and moms mowing people over with stroller? It might have been part of I'm over it that he was reacting to something that I said and and took it his own direction and Come probably forward. went harder than I did. Yeah, no, he de- he definitely did. He yeah. he the the athlete in him uh, would not let him lose that if it was a competition. But man, um, I mean, he's kind of right. Yeah, he's not wrong. Um, no. Not wrong, especially if the kid's not cute. Anyways, uh, no Canty oh. this week. No Michelle. No Evan. You've got Courtney Cronin and Mike Rothstein. Javante and Pat in studio here on Unsportsmanlike, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. We did learn a couple things during this Christmas Day NFL slate that centers around the postseason. Not just that the, that the Baltimore Ravens are a team that may be the most complete team in the NFL in a game that was the precursor, at least the way that Mike and I see it, to the Super Bowl, but... After week 18 comes to a close and during NFL honors, about a month removed from that is when they will announce the NFL's MVP award. Lamar Jackson doing what he did against the number two scoring defense last night, putting up 33 points, 45 rushing yards, uh, over you know 250 passing yards, a very complete and balanced attack. Shows you how quickly things can change from where Brock Purdy was as the MVP favorite going into week 16, Mike, to now where... Lamar Jackson looks like he's going to run away with this thing in the final two games. It's possible, but like you just said, Brock Purdy was the odds-on favorite 48 hours ago. Look 24 at, hours ago. Look at how far his odds dropped. So if you're watching over on ESPNU, Brock Purdy went from minus 250 to plus 1400. Lamar Jackson was the was the second had the second best odds. He went from plus 450 to minus 180. So there's there's Four players in between the leader right now and Lamar Jackson and Brock Purdy. I mean, it just, it just goes to show you how quickly yeah. this thing can change. Because Dak's not even on that list right now. But uh, sorry to interrupt you on that. I just those no, odds fine. are like it's just so stark how quickly things can change when you have well, two it, it games is, remaining. It, it is, but I think part of it, at least with Brock Purdy, is there has been a contingent, we'll call it, of people, it seems like that have been waiting for something like this to happen with Brock Purdy mm-hmm. because they use draft capital to or they use the, the draft pick rather where the guy was selected or not selected in like Sorry. the case of Tony Romo to judge what should be expected of that player in the NFL you and I have talked about this off air because we've been covering the NFL for a long time I think I talked about it a little bit yesterday as well take the draft position out of it like after his rookie year like, after a player's rookie year, take the draft position out of it because that won't matter. If you take the draft position out of it, I don't think Brock Purdy would have fallen as far as he did. But a four-interception game, even though two of those you can say maybe were questionable for mm-hmm. his fault versus just really nice play by Baltimore's defense, and it should drop. Lamar should be the favorite. Sure. And that's really interesting to me where he is. But, hey, there's two weeks left to go, and he is going to play a, a very – tough Miami team here on this weekend and to me if Tyreek Hill plays say okay this is another big game right you got Tyreek Hill and Lamar Jackson on the field at the same time and oddly Mm -hmm. and arguably Tua what happens if Tyreek Hill goes for like 210 on this Baltimore Ravens defense and Lamar plays an average game like where are we then then Tyreek Hill gets vaunted up the list I don't know if he'll ever get on like I I just I can't see it with a wide receiver as much as 
as much as he is the MVP of that team, and if you're actually judging it on it being a non-quarterback award, you would take Tyreek Hill, in his case, a lot more seriously than voters than voters inevitably will. If he hits 2,000 yards, I still feel like he's got a really good case to make, but I just yeah. don't know if the votes will reflect that. It is a quarterback award, and if even if Lamar – you know, against Miami's defense, if he has like what do you call it, like a so-so game, an average yeah, average game, game yeah. I still think he'll he'd be ahead of Tyreek Hill in terms of probably, the odds, which is probably, unfortunate. You're but probably it's, right. It's the truth. Yeah, I'm just saying that that seems to be the volatile nature of the MVP conversation this year. Where yeah. usually by this time of year, I mean Courtney, you do the MVP straw what was you guys call it strapple yeah. for us at mm-hmm. ESPN.com. Usually by this time of year, it feels like it's maybe down to two guys, not four or five. Yeah, last year it was down to Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. We have two final polls. I think it's like week 15 and then week after week 18. And it was very clear that Jalen Hurts' injury that he had during the stretch of the 2022 season was going to end up costing him. Um, Still put together a great campaign, but you're right. It was a very clear cut. These are the two down the final couple games of the season that we'll be deciding from. Inevitably... There's still a lot of names here in this mix. I mean, you saw Lamar Jackson, Brock Purdy still in the mix, Tua's in the mix, Josh Allen. If he, if he, I'll say this about Josh Allen. If he goes on a tear these final two games, the odds just got put back up on the screen if you're watching on ESPNU. So plus 1,400 to plus 1,100 currently, all of those odds, um, according to ESPN Bet. If Josh Allen can get this team the AFC East title, and if he's doing it with the type of play that he's displayed against the Dallas Cowboys, against the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs, then who's to say he doesn't somehow get vaunted up that list? Yeah. A lot of things would have to change. You know, Lamar probably would need to you know, fall off a little bit. Maybe it happens against Miami. Maybe it doesn't. But there are, there are a lot of scenarios here that are still in play. Now, the interesting thing about this Ravens team is you and I had been giving them a lot of respect going into this, but not everybody else did. A lot of pundits out there said that it's San Francisco and nobody else holds a candle to them. Well, Lamar Jackson, he's not to a level of holding on to receipts, but he did have <laughs> this to say when he was asked about all of a sudden the old switcheroo and now Baltimore is being viewed as San Francisco. I mean, I really don't care about the favorites. So that's a great team, though. You don't take anything away from them. You know, defense, offense, and special team as well. I, I pretty much like it that way, you know, just being the underdogs. I don't want people looking at us like, oh, we need them to go and do this and that, playing as the underdog. And I feel like we have more success being that way. I appreciate Lamar Jackson keeping that same energy all season long, yeah. Mike, because, you know, Baltimore definitely was not given the respect that they deserved. I mean, it was a great case for them last night during the final three games of the season, play your best football, do it on the road, and do it against another team that's been getting all of the love, all of the hype, all of the headlines. I don't know if anyone had said anything negative about San Francisco since that stretch where Brock Purdy threw more interceptions in three games than he had in his first 15 starts, but <laughs> Baltimore deserves this. They, they deserve they it because they've played as well as they have, and that's not a fluke. And you didn't hear it there in that clip, but like Lamar Jackson, if you go search, um, you know, if, if you search for his uh, press conference yesterday, he had a lot of like really poignant uh, moments at the podium where there are people who got called out, and rightfully so. When you have such a, f- a fierce take that – you know, San, no team can ever be on San Francisco's level this year. And then you get shown up like that. This was not a close loss for the 49ers. It was 33-19. 
Baltimore came in, they handled business. Now they get to host Miami in the second to last game of the season. We'll get to see if the MVP race changes even more or if Lamar Jackson further further strengthens his case. First time he has had the best odds, the number one odds, going into a week this season. All right, straight ahead. We'll end things with the most unsportsmanlike moments of the day. Can't wait to see what Pat Costello dug up for this one. That's coming up next, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. It is our show's namesake, so of course we end off every day like this, the most unsportsmanlike moment of the day. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein, sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle on this Tuesday morning. I'm going to let you lead off here, sir, on your okay. most unsportsmanlike moment of the day. I can't remember what you did yesterday. I don't know if I should. I did the but Eastern I, Michigan football that's player right. who... That's right. I remember it was. I remember yeah. we had video of to support it. So hopefully your one today is as good as the one yesterday. We should, and we should have wild. video, too. We should okay. have video as well. Hopefully, I, if, if we could pull it quick enough. I, I don't know. Uh, but no, I mean, and it's staying in the realm of punching things, right? But this morning in Japan, Noya Inoue who probably 95% of the people listening or watching here on ESPNU uh, do not know. Noya Inoue is one of the top two boxers in the world, along with Bud Crawford. He fights in Japan, mostly, and he is a monster. That is his nickname, the monster. He went and he became the second fighter in the four-belt era, second male fighter, rather, in the four-belt era to become undisputed in two weight classes. He did that this morning by, be- by knocking out Marlon Tapias in the 10th round. Noya Inoue is... A phenomenal fighter, Courtney. Like, we're talking about if he, if he got, if boxing got more attention, and this is my unsportsmanlike portion of it, if boxing got more attention, Noya Inoue would be a star. We would be talking him like we talk about Hagler and Hearns and Sugar Ray. Like, we would be talking about him on that level because he is a generational talent. He is my fighter of the year this year. I cover boxing for us here at ESPN along with covering the NFL. Noy Inouye is phenomenal. Go find that fight from this morning and just watch him hit. I've seen him fight live, Courtney, and you can legitimately hear the glove every time hitting the opponent's face. That sounds awesome. I mean, it is sportsmanlike in that is that is actually what he's supposed to do, but like sure. the violence he hits with is very, very unsportsmanlike. But we're just not happy that it doesn't get the coverage that yes, you not would happy like for it, it should. I get that. We I get, get that. we give it coverage here at ESPN. It was on That's ESPN good. Plus this morning, and it, you know it, we all, Mike Coppinger's our lead boxing reporter. He was covering it, but yeah, nationwide, no, we don't pay enough attention to boxing. That, that was actually. almost more positivity than I was comfortable with. I know. He went on and on and on about (laughs) how great this guy was. And then it ends with, well, what I'm unhappy with is that we don't cover this Well, you guys made me spin it towards something unhappy. Pat wants you coming in off the top rope, negative as hell. So, like, We did do a segment called Positive Programming. Maybe we could uh, dial that up for Michael tomorrow. That sounds like a great idea. I try to be be happy, Javante, but the Pistons are playing tonight. So I feel like it'll be a, a tank of negative again. 
That's yeah. Probably I mean, so. I can't okay, wait for tomorrow to see what Javante's Detroit Pistons update's going to be. I've learned that that's a fun <laughs> segment on this show. Uh, it's my favorite uh, but segment. we're not supposed to be having fun right now. This is the un- most unsportsmanlike moment of the day. Javante, who do you have? On this list. I'm actually surprised none of you said this. Because at the beginning of the game yesterday between the Ravens and 49ers, Lamar Jackson rolls out and tries to throw the ball away, but the referee trips oh and gosh. falls, and he falls over the referee. <laughs> and the then the other refs comes in and actually throws a flag without even thinking about it. Like, oh, maybe I'll just let this go. But he still throws a flag, and he gets a safety because the referee got in his way, and he couldn't throw the ball away. <laughs> So I w- when I was watching this, and then you see the referee on the sideline afterwards, he was smiling about it. I would be mortified if that was me, if I was part of the um, part of the officiating yeah. crew yesterday. So like, yeah, like he got in his way, and if, you know, Lamar's trying to to scramble around in the end zone, and he ends up falling, you know, getting tackled there, and that that is a safety. That's why the game at one point was five to three. Uh, weird score, <laughs> but um, yeah, that that's that's one that that ref is not going to live down anytime soon. No, the Orioles beating the Orioles up on the Giants five three here in, yeah. in the bottom of the third. No, but here this is why Javante. I think that neither Courtney or I brought it up is because it didn't matter at the end of the day, right? Like it Baltimore happened really early thor- in the game too. Yeah, Baltimore so thoroughly handled San Francisco that it did not matter. Like if this ended up being a field goal game or a one possession game late, uh, it's probably a different conversation. Like say they lost by two, say Baltimore mm-hmm. lost by two, say it was like twenty one nineteen something like that. Then I think it would be a really big deal. Oh, for sure. If the officiating was like the, I mean, the officiating's come under fire in the NFL throughout the season. If somehow it played a role in a game that was decided between two Super Bowl favorites, we're talking about it probably at many other points throughout the show instead of the most unsportsmanlike moment of the day. Uh, but it's a good one, Javante. I, I had forgotten about it because it did happen so early in that game. Um, Pat, what you got? Uh, mine is very clearly uh, Courtney picking. Uh, her mom's Christmas oh present gosh. and it being a, a ticket to a public bathtub. Uh, that's for two thousand dollars or something. To a bathtub, like that. Gone from a pool to a bathtub. Yeah. We've gone from thirteen hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. Like, where, where, where this is like a game public? of telephone. We've changed yeah. the story in what I've purchased so, like three different times. Tell that's the people what you actually host. did purchase. For what anyone I did who purchase was a set of tickets to Hamilton the musical. We're going to that at the end of January. And then I got my mom a spa experience at this place in Chicago that's called Air Ancient Baths. So, like, it's a it's an old industrial building that they have converted into a day spa where there's salt rooms, there's these really cool, serene-looking pools. Like, it's not going to the YMCA. <laughs> it's kind of going to the YMCA. It's not. It's really not. That's a really classy YMCA, then. It's a really nice YMCA if that's what, that's what you think we're going to. But Pat... Came in off the top rope. I was trying to talk Ravens and 49ers this morning <laughs> at 5 in the morning. Like, literally, first thing I do, I'm like, all right, we're going to break down every angle of this game. We're going to talk about the MVP. We're going to talk about Brock Purdy, blah, blah, blah. Pat just, like, barrels in and and just starts dunking on my gift because it, it was like he had waited for this moment to know what I had purchased because – I was a little tardy on the fastball yet, like this year in buying gifts. So I waited till the weekend after Mike put the fire under me on Friday. And I was like, all right, well, I got to deliver because I know we're going to end up talking about this. And I also wanted to deliver for my family, too. That's what's most important. No, it was we don't mostly just for do me. things it for the It was mostly bit. for me. Don't um, give a lot. But it was like, I, I was proud of that <laughs> gift. I really was. I thought that was a thoughtful gift. And then Pat comes in and makes me feel 
Like, it's the worst gift of all time in that I'm selfish for wanting to get my mom something that we could experience together. Did you also get her a bar of soap and some shampoo? What are you talking about? Like, that's going to, like, we're going to the spa together. We're not showering they have, there. Like, yeah, they it, also have Basically that. a bathtub. All right, Pat, let me ask you this. No matter what Courtney had gotten her yeah, mom, would we you would be, be dunking on this. it right yes, now? Yes, we would. No, no, I, I like the Hamilton one. That's a good one. That would be you. fun. I'm glad that I got a 50% approval rating. That's better than some presidents in the United States. But, um, <laughs> like, I, like your Lyndon, what would what you get? What do presidents do? <laughs> Pat you got, got his father a Lyndon B. Johnson <laughs> pen. It doesn't work. A used pen from Lyndon B. Johnson, yeah. How Very much cool. did you pay for said pen, Pat? Uh, $175, but I split it. For a pen that doesn't work. Yeah. Well, but it's a presidential pen. It was it's used by, once a by a president. A, we have no idea what you're, you're, it you're, made you're going signed. to a used pool. I'm, I have a used pen from a president, at least. That's a lot of peas right there, Patrick. Yeah, you sound like my old <laughs> headset that I just swapped out for this awesome mic because all my peas and my bees were popping. Um, I'll end it here. So, my most unsportsmanlike moment of the day was. Rhetoric that came about the San Francisco 49ers and what they were going to do to the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. An analyst, if you want to call this person that, said that, they were, he, that the 49ers were going to kick the bleep out of the Baltimore Ravens. Freezing cold takes exposed to the nth degree. Lamar Jackson handled it gracefully up at the podium. I do appreciate that. And I love the fact that we now have a new Super Bowl contender, at least the favorite in a lot of people's eyes, whether Lamar Jackson wants to view that team as a favorite or not. It seems to think it seem to think that they like being the underdog, and that is where we will leave it today. Mike and I are back tomorrow. Jordan Ron on Mike Wells. Have you covered on Greeny? Coming up next, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.